Hey, welcome to More Than Bread. My name is Dan. I'm a husband, a father, a grandfather. I love being a grandfather living in Central PA. I'm also a pastor in Central PA and I have been for about 30 years. And today, today I'm your host and Bible guide for this excursion into scripture. I, I don't get tired of saying it, but this podcast is only valuable in so much as scripture has value. The best part of it is not my explanations, or even whatever little help I I can give you to listen to the voice of God so you can learn from the words of God and then lean into the call of God. In all honesty, the very best part comes when I simply read the words, the Word of God. Because when the Spirit of God breathes life into the people of God through the words of God, there is a thriving that results. So this is actually episode number 253. If you're here for the very first time and you came because you heard about the Lent series, there there are a bunch more episodes. You can check them out after Easter. But for now, episode number 253 of More Than Bread is also episode number three of our Lent series. Our, Our theme overall is preparing for more. Lent is often experienced as a a time of preparation. And as we make our way to the resurrection, it becomes more and more obvious that what we are preparing for is more, more resurrection power, more peace and joy in hard days. And most importantly, I would say more of the presence of Jesus in our lives. In the last episode, we focused in on the reality of suffering. No one likes to suffer. No one likes times of uncertainty that threaten our peace, times of difficulty that seem to drain our joy. But but actually, suffering is oftentimes a catalyst for spiritual growth. The, the Bible calls it a crucible, time of refining. And, and suffering is one of the overarching themes of Lent. I mean, how could it not be as we come to those last days of Jesus, what he suffered and what he sacrificed for us? So here at the beginning of this series, we start, and we'll probably even end with the hardest part, which is suffering. In the last episode, we focused on Jesus' message to his disciples. Remember, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. In other words, the best is yet to come. So we focused in on how in the midst of the difficult days, we are preparing in hope, with hope, for more hope. We are born again to a living hope through the resurrection so that we can abound in hope. That's what Peter and Paul said, not the singing group, the apostles. In the last episode, before we got to Jesus, I paused at Job, and and I'm, we're going back to that. I, I think Job has something hopeful to help us prepare for more in the midst of hard times. So one more time, we're going to acknowledge with honesty that as we prepare for more, as we make our way to the resurrection, it seems like we often find more suffering. Job's story contains moments of truth and insight that can saturate our hearts with hope, but it It all starts with honesty. Job is a a hard book describing a hard season in the midst of life. And and if you know the story, you know that Job is a guy who goes through so much that in the century since his name has become synonymous with suffering and tragedy, pain and loss. In Job 19, Job has experienced in a few months more hardship and difficulties than many of us will experience in a lifetime, maybe other than Christ. Most of his children and 
Their families have been killed. His business has been ruined. His house has been destroyed. And in Job 19, 13 through 19, he says that his close friends have forgotten him. His servants ignore him. His breath is offensive to his wife and his kids don't want to look at him. And in fact, he says in verse 20, I've been reduced to skin and bones and I have escaped death by the skin of my teeth. See, if we do anything this Lent season, these next 40 plus days, we, we got to do honesty. We, we need to be honest about life. We need to admit that it's not always easy, that everything is not always up and to the right. Family life isn't always easy, right? I mean, in a Christianity Today article, The Myth of Happy Parenting, Rachel Stone writes, the truth is that parenthood isn't always fun. And, and the true church where we rightly acknowledge that children are gifts from God, Perhaps we're especially afraid to say this. There's so much pain and heartache. The The way of the parent is often the way of the cross. The glory and grace and joy in it come at significant cost. You know, I would say that in an always connected social media world where everyone is constantly putting the best moments of their story on display, and the reality is that sometimes life is hard and, and our stories get messy In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul is talking to people with messy stories and hard lives when he writes in verse 1, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. And you realize that when he wrote those words, because of God's mercy, we do not lose heart. He wrote them because people were losing heart. Life isn't always easy. You may be experiencing that right now. If not, you have, and if not, you will. And, and you know, from Job's story, what makes that really difficult, that idea that life isn't always hard, what makes that really difficult is that sometimes friends aren't really friends. I mean, that's one of Job's struggles. If you read the story, you know he's going through the worst days of his life, and these three friends come to minister to him, but but really all they do is tear him down. It's like, it's all your fault, Job. God must be punishing you. It's interesting. In Job chapter 2, we're introduced to Job's three friends. And when they see Job, they don't even recognize him. His suffering is so deep that for a week, they just sit with him in silence. And you know what? It might have been better if they'd just gone home after their seven days of silence. In fact, listen, sometimes the greatest gift a friend can bring is just sitting in the silence and weeping with those who weep, listening to those who grieve. But after seven days of silence, they get at it. They start giving him their theories on why he deserves what he's getting. Can't be that God's unjust, so so he deserves this. I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes friends are not really friends. Sometimes life is hard, and friends aren't really friends. But here's the kicker. It can get worse because sometimes it seems like God is against me. (laughs) I mean, just think about all three of those statements in relationship to Jesus. Sometimes it seems like God is against me. Sometimes friends aren't really friends, and sometimes life is difficult. David Johnson is a pastor in Minneapolis and the brother of a friend of mine. In the last number of years, he he retired from a, a long, great pastorate at the Church of the Open Door, but he had a season when it seemed to him like God was against him. He writes, our church had grown, but I was a mess inside. I was empty and ready to quit or collapse. I remember getting a plaque from some organization for being one of the fastest growing churches in the city, but inside we were a mess. He said, my personal life was a mess. Key staff were stressed and exhausted. A few of us took the plaque into the woods, put it on a tree and shot it full of holes with a rifle. And then he says, things got worse. 
A youth pastor left a key leader, committed adultery, a very public figure in the attempt to buy some land for a new facility. He, he called it the darkest days of his life. He told his elders he had to leave to survive. But they encouraged him to take a sabbatical instead. But instead of restoring him, <laughs> the sabbatical became known as Dave's sabbatical from hell. <laughs> he and his wife joined a co-ed softball league. And in the first week, she dislocated her knee and broke her ankle. She was in agony. And they had to cancel a vacation to Florida and wait two weeks for her to have surgery. And then in pre-op, they found a lump in her throat and decided it was cancer. A week or so after that, on a beautiful summer day, a storm suddenly came up and their house got hit by lightning and caught fire. Dave writes, we, we lost our home. My wife can't walk. She just had throat surgery. We're in borrowed housing. And then she gets sick and she's vomiting through her surgical incision into a sink. And I'm thinking, where are you, God? Let's be honest. Sometimes life isn't easy. Sometimes our friends aren't our friends. And sometimes we wonder if God is against us. If you ever feel like that, I'm, I'm telling you, Jesus knows. <laughs> and so does Job. That's where Job was at. But he doesn't stay there. Here's what's encouraging. As we think about what does it look like for us to prepare for more, his story takes a turn. And it's a turn that causes me to ask what words are engraved on my rock. Say, well, what do you mean by that, Dan? Well, in Job 19, verses 23 through 24, Job cries out to his friends, but really he cries out to life, maybe to God. Oh, that my words could be recorded, he cries out. Oh, that they could be inscribed on a monument, carved with an iron chisel, filled with lead, engraved forever in a rock. <laughs> engraved forever in a rock. In other words, words so important that you dare not forget them. Words you teach to others. Not all words are the same. Some words are throwaway temporary, but some words need to be pondered daily and remembered forever. What are your words? What words has God whispered to you over the course of your life, especially in the hard times? What are the lessons, the words that when you heard them, you knew, I must not forget these words. One of my sets of words is, the best is yet to come. So during this season... <laughs> What words has God whispered? What word is, has God whispered into your heart? What word has God whispered into your soul? What are the words that you say, you, you knew I must not forget these words? What lessons has he given you? What are the words that I must remember? A, a while back, Lynn shared one of her words with me that I think is for her rock. God spoke to her heart saying, you have nothing to prove. What are your words? Maybe rest my child. Bend me, break me, build me, use me. Someone gave me those as their words. Beloved, royal priesthood, Jesus Christ, same yesterday, today, and forever. What are your words? One of the words that goes on my rock is a word God gave me when I found out I had COVID back in March 2020. I was one of the fourth ones in our county, way back in the beginning. And the words that God gave me were simply be still and know that I'm God. Stop striving. I'll never forget I was lying in bed on a Sunday night feeling the worst I'd ever felt maybe in my life. And on top of that, feeling like I was missing the leadership mark by a mile. My church needed me and I was sick. And I just had the sense of God saying, stop striving. Quit trying to control what's outside your grasp. This is not about your capacity. It's about your dependency on me, desperate dependency. What you've asked me to do, I'm doing. Be still and know that I'm God. 
Job was asking for a rock, not not to write an epitaph for his tombstone. Job was calling for a rock to write down words of hope and promise, words that would help him make it through his storm, his tomb time, words that would that would provi- prepare him for more, prepare him with hope for more. Bring me a rock so I can write my words on a rock. What are your words? What are you going to write on your rock? What are the promises from God that will get you through the times when life isn't easy? Let let me give you some some guidelines. Here's what needs to go on your rock. It needs to be something that's real. It needs to be something that's true, that you know you can believe no matter what. It needs to be something that's forever. It needs to be a truth that stands the test of time and, and even the test of eternity, not a fad but forever. And and it needs to be something that's core, something that's central. There's a lot of forever truths out there. The Bible is full of them, but there's not enough on the rock for all of them. What word is central to your life, your core truth? I love what Job wrote on his rock. This man who experienced more hardship in a few months than most of us will experience in a lifetime. Listen to verses 25 and 27 of Job 19. He says, But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. (laughs) Man, that's such an important word. Let me break it down. My Redeemer lives, and in the end, he will still be standing, Job says. My Redeemer lives. I will trust God. My Redeemer wins. I will hope in God. Listen, our God is not small. He's filling the whole world with the knowledge of his glory. Are you trusting in a big God? But having asked that question, I don't think it's the truth that it's at the the heart of the message Job is writing on his rock. Here's the heart of it. After my skin is destroyed in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. I will see my God. Man, there's a truth here. It's not just a word of hope. It's a word of promise. And the promise is this. We become what we behold. So what's getting your eyes? Remember Paul and John, they, they both said something similar. When we see him, Paul said, we'll be like him. Glory to glory. Our sight shapes our souls. Our gaze gathers glory. What we treasure gets our eyes and we become what we behold. We could do worse than to put those words on a rock. I will see Jesus. Oh God, I want to see you. But but here's the heart question. What what motivation is at the heart of our desire to see God? If we want to see God, why do we want to see God? If you've read Job's story, you know more than Job did while he walked through his dark valley. You know that Job was a shining star in God's sky. He was a, a guy of moral integrity who hated evil and loved God. He had a great family. He was a successful man, respected in the community, full of wisdom and compassion, honored by all. And he was a shining star. But one day Satan came to God and said, of course, Job is good and he loves you. Look at all that you've given him. Look at all the blessings you've poured out upon him. Take all that away and he'll curse you. He'll he'll turn from you. He'll seek life apart from you. And so God removed his gracious hand and Satan went to work. Job didn't understand it. He didn't know it, but a spiritual battle for the glory of God began in earnest. And the question at the very heart of the battle was simply this, will he, will we love God if God doesn't bless us? Is God enough? Is God enough? 
If we lose everything but God, is God enough? If there is no material blessing, if there's only pain and loss, if we have if we have to scrape the bones for hope and joy is a distant memory, if no prayer is heard except the prayer, God, give me more of you, let me see you, if that's the only prayer that God hears and answers, will that be enough for us? See, there's really three different reasons for suffering in the Bible. The first reason for suffering is sin. Whether it's the consequence of our sin or sin that's been done to us, sin brings suffering. But the second reason is one that we stress more often at Calvary. Suffering brings growth. Suffering is the chisel that God uses to shape Christ into our character. The crucible catalyzes growth. We we cannot become all God dreams for us without the crucibles of life. (laughs) But Job Job introduces, introduces us to a third reason for suffering. Job's suffering isn't the consequence of sin. Job's suffering isn't for his own spiritual growth. He's already a shining star in God's sky. Instead, Job's suffering and pain becomes the space in which God gives himself to Job more than he ever could have before when life was good. Let me say that again. Job's suffering becomes the space in which God gives himself to Job more than he ever could have before when life was good and filled with all of God's blessings. See, when we come to a place where everything is taken away but God, and all that we have to gain by going after God is just God, just God, and our hearts yearn not for more of what God has given us, but just for more God, I'm telling you, then we will get more God. And that is the more that we're preparing for. I have a deep heart conviction that we are wired by God for radical, passionate, resurrection-filled living with meaning and purpose. But we'll miss this kind of life if we believe that the best way to find life is to avoid suffering at all costs. Not every hard time is a bad time. Dave Johnson shares the turning point on his sabbatical from hell. He said, I was fighting with God. I was so mad. I put on some headphones intending to play some screaming rock and roll that would match my anger. So I'm sitting there dialing the radio and I accidentally come upon some worship song. And it just melted me. I sat there weeping, just thinking, crap, I can't get away from this. Because Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Even when I'm pissed, he's still the sweetest name I know. Let me pray for you. Father God, Jesus, you you are worth it. You are worthy. God, you are worth it. You are worthy. There's nothing in life that we need more than you. There's nothing in life that our, our hearts desire more than you. It's not about what you can give us. It's about giving us you. And so I pray for each and every person listening to the sound of my voice. God, would you give us a hunger for you? Would, would you give us words to write on our rock, words of hope? But God, would you give us the affirmation that in the end we will see you and that when we see you, we will know that there is nothing greater. There's nothing more worthy of our time, our heart, our lives, nothing more worth our suffering than to simply see you because Jesus is the sweetest name we know. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.